Amen. Thank you, Brother Vaughn. Let's stand and take our Bibles. Mark chapter 5 this morning. Mark chapter 5. We're delighted to have you as a guest or visitor. If you're first time here, please pardon the dust outside. We're in a construction mode right now. And uh, we're excited about the nearing completion, perhaps by June, of the new educational building. And we'll be going back to this a whole new Sunday school format that we pray will be helped to our church in growing and encouraging one another. I pray that as a church member, you'll be here tonight for the Victory Report. We have much to thank the Lord for. And uh, after that, we'll have the evening service and just encourage you with a message that kind of dovetails on that. That will encourage you in your faith and walk with the Lord. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 25. We're going to continue where we left off last Sunday in our series of... On, on I believe, and we want to look specifically at one particular person this morning. And this person doesn't have a name, but it might be you or me. And I think there's some great thoughts here that we can look at that'll help us. Mark chapter five, verse twenty-five. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please share your Bible with them. <clears throat> and a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and suffered many things of many physicians, and spent all that she had. It was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and he said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched thee? And he looked around, around about to see her that had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Did you notice this woman? What a story here. A woman who physically, the Bible describes in verse 26, she had suffered from many physicians and many things. She had a disease that caused her to hemorrhage. Literally, she bled physically, and these doctors bled her financially. She was the end of her rope. There is no cure. There is no remedy that could help her until she heard that Jesus was in town. And this woman, as we'll see in the message, this woman came to Jesus Christ just as she was. You know, this morning as we enter this service, this worship time, and perhaps the, the, the engine that drives the church, which is the preaching moment, I want to encourage you today, God wants you and me to come just as we are. We need to let go of our pretense. We need to, let, we need to take off the mask. We need to stop worrying about what people think about us. We need to let go of our insecurities. We need to let go of our paranoias. We need to let go of our fears and come just as we are. And that's what this lady did. In the midst of a throng of people, she came just as she was. And I want to preach a message this evening, this morning, entitled, Just As I Am. Now, Father, today we are already encouraged and blessed by what we've heard from the choir as they sang about your amazing grace and about Jesus coming again, the midnight cry of the Lord. And, uh, Lord, the hymns that we sang, just even the last one about what a friend we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we need you to draw, draw us near to you. The Bible says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We ask today that as many burdens are represented in this room of health trials, physical trials, financial trials, family trials, and much more, we ask God that you help us to unload our burdens upon you and Lord, to take your yoke for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. 
And Father, we pray that you help us to let go of those burdens we're carrying. We pray you help us to leave at the cross those besetting sins and the weights which are holding us down. And Father, we pray that you awaken our conscience. Move us from consciences that are defiled or weak or, Lord, that are wicked to consciences that would be good and upright before God. We pray that the Holy Spirit this morning will have free course and liberty to work in our hearts, reproving us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because of our unbelief, of righteousness because Jesus now is with the Father, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Father, deliver us today from our thoughts and our hearts being distracted and encumbered with other things, but to be like Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus and focused on his words and focused on him. We pray that every heart here today would be a heart filled with good soil, good soil upon which the seed of the word would be cast upon and would multiply and bear forth much fruit, 25, 50, and 100 fold. God delivers today from wayside soil where men would trample upon that seed and the fowls of the air, Satan's birds would snatch that seed out of our heart. And deliver us this morning from having, having, Lord, a shallow soil where it cannot take, where the seed cannot take deep root. Or deliver us today that, Lord, that the seed is not cast among thorny soil where the cares of this world will wrap itself around the precious seed and choke it out. But rather this morning, let your word be a sharp two-edged sword that would pierce and divide asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrows. Lift our hearts. Encourage us today. Draw those without Christ to a saving knowledge of yourself today. And today, Lord, may you be glorified through this message and the decisions we make. We pray for these things now, Lord, of you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're looking at a physical ailment. This week has been filled with the week of a lot of hospital visits and people we've been praying with who have physical ailments. Physiology is a study of the human body. I thought back in seventh grade when I first got exposed to physiology and learned all the organs of the body and all those different kind of basic things. I thought right then and there, my dad was right. I should be a doctor. I'm thankful that I'm not a doctor. You should be thankful I'm not a doctor. There'd be a lot of malpractice going on if I was a doctor right now. But by the way, and thank the Lord that I've got an honorary doctor degree. It helps me in hospital visits sometimes. Amen. I'll sometimes I knock on the door. They say, well, who are you? And I say, I'm Dr. Fong. You say Pastor Fong. I'll say Dr. Fong. They say, come on in, doctor. You can come on in. Amen. But uh, that's the only time I use it like that there. But but uh, after I took I, I, I got through chemistry with a B and I got to physics and I won't say what I got in physics, but after I got through physics. I decided my calling was not to be a medical doctor, but I'm still intrigued with the body and physiology and things of that nature. You know, the body is a very intricate mechanism created by God. The best way we could describe it in Psalms 139, the psalmist said this, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. How many believe that this, this morning, man? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We've been blessed this, this, this uh, month. We've had the month of January. We've had three babies born and we have several more on the way. You pray for my daughter, Carice, that she could be she's exposed, supposed to be uh, giving birth on Tuesday there. And we're just praying for a safe, healthy delivery there. But, you know, when babies are born, it just reminds us of that. We are we are wonderfully, fearfully and wonderfully made. And, uh, you know, when you consider the body, there's so much complexity about the body. And one of those complexities is the circulatory system of the body or the blood of the body. And as you know, blood in the body is a necessary means by which nutrition and oxygen flow to nourish the entire body. The Bible tells us in Leviticus 17, 11, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And it used to be back in the 17, 1800s, they thought when people were sick, they thought they had to bleed them. They did what they call bloodletting. They let blood out. And then they soon to realize that that wasn't curing them. And they learned that transfusions actually help people. And they need to get blood inside people. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And uh, we take for granted our bleeding, what goes on inside of our blood inside of us there. 
But we also consider that it's very scary and very, very fearful thing to contract a disease of the blood. A disease of the blood can be very, uh, be, be very scary. I was telling my, my, my kids last night, we went out for dinner with my wife and I told the kids last night, I said, yeah, uh, you know, back when I was about 23, 24, I did this multiphasic exam I was told to do. And, and the, the lady came back and said, well, we did your blood tests. And, you know, I just get familiar with all the terms at that time. So we did your blood tests. And she said, Mr. Fine, I just want to let you know, I've got some good news and bad news. Now, how many know if they tell you you got good news and bad news, you want to know the bad news first, amen, you know? And she says, well, I want to start with the good news and bad news. She says, well, she says, the good news is that, uh, she says, the, well, she says, I'll start off with the bad news. You've got thalassemia minor. And I said, well, I said, wait a minute. What? I said, what? She said, I said, what, what, what's, what's thalassemia minor? Well, she, I'll explain in a minute, but let me tell you the good news. She says, the good news is if you had thalassemia major, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. You would have been dead already, <laughs> you know? And, uh, basically it's just kind of a, it's just your, 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 your platelets are very small, I guess, whatever there. And, and it's just something you live with. It doesn't really impair you except for the fact you feel a little bit anemic at times and things of that nature. And she said, you can counteract that with a little bit more iron and vitamins in your blood, things of that nature there. And I started to become a little more familiar with, uh, because of that, that, you know, what, what the disease of the blood and how they affect us. And, uh, you know, one disease of the blood that, that is very scary is the one called hemophilia, where a person, if they, they get cut, they can literally bleed out to death. And that could be a very scary thing there. And uh, we, we notice today that if someone bleeds excessively and uncontrollably, that person could have a, that loss of blood could threaten their life. Now, notice our passage this morning. We're not looking at a lady that had hemophilia. We're not looking at a lady that had a blood disease per se. We're looking at a woman that, for whatever reason, God chose not to give us her name, but a woman who had a hemorrhaging problem. A woman that this hemorrhaging problem went on consecutively for 12 years. Kind of interesting, as we talked about Jairus last week. Jairus had a daughter that was 12 years old. This woman's condition began at the time that Jairus' daughter was born. For 12 years, this woman suffered miserably of this hemorrhaging problem. There were social repercussions to that. There were spiritual repercussions to that. There were physiological repercussions to this. This woman suffered. The Bible says that she, that she, uh, she spent all that she had and was nothing the better, but rather grew worse. And this, this morning we're examining this situation, this true story about how Jesus came into this woman's life. A woman who physically was bleeding out. A woman who financially was bled by the doctors and others who took advantage of her. And we want to see how sometimes life, in its way, in many ways, life can appear to us to be very cruel. And life can appear to us to be very unjust. And life can appear to us to be unfair. And life can bring about challenges to us. And we wonder, why is this happening to me? And why didn't this happen to somebody else? And why me? Why now? I'm at the prime of my life. I'm at a young person. Uh, Brother Ed Mascara has a granddaughter that uh, just a few days ago that had a blood clot in her brain. Ten-year-old girl that had a blood clot in her brain. Paralyzed on one side. Paralysis on one side. Slurred speech. We thank God as God's people began to pray last Sunday that God started to work through that. And we're thankful that now she's transferred out of the hospital she was in to a, a children's hospital setting for rehab and things of that nature. And got a chance to, both, both Irwin and I had a chance to visit with them separately. And we're just seeing the marvelous hand of God working that little girl's life as she's starting to go through recovery and things like that. But, you know, those are very scary things when you consider those things. And I imagine the mother and father wondering, well, why my daughter? And she's so young and she's just only 10 years old. And, you know, a lot of times we have more questions than we have answers when it comes to diseases, sicknesses, and illness that afflict us. But in the midst of all that, the midst of all that, as we see this morning, we see God coming onto the scene. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ 
coming into this woman's life at a critical moment, a critical time when she needed help, when she needed an intervention from God. And I just want to tell you this morning, whatever, whatever you're going through or might be able, might start going through, just always remember this. God will be there for you. God is there for you all the time. And I remind you today, the Bible says, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. And I remind you today that Jesus promises, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Notice this morning, as we look at this passage, once again, we see a passage of scripture where Jesus cures the incurable. We see where Jesus changes what's unchangeable. We see Jesus accepting the unacceptable. And we see Jesus receiving the rejected. Come with me this morning as we study a passage of scripture that deals with a woman who was in the most extreme of circumstances and she came just as she was and Jesus changed her life. Notice three things about our passage this morning. First of all, what you notice in verses 25 to 26 We see a woman with a fatal condition. Notice verse 25 starts off by telling us, which to the typical Jew who would read this, it was very frightening. We read about a certain woman which had an issue of blood for 12 years. Now, this passage of scripture, as I said last week, is nestled among four incidences where we see faith and power at work. Always remember this. Where there, if you want the power of God, there must be the exercise of faith. And where there's the exercise of faith, we will see the power of God. We see four circumstances, all separate and somewhat unattached, but somewhat having similarities. Four circumstances that demonstrate faith in the power of God. In Mark chapter 4, we find in verses 35 to 41, we see the power of Christ over danger. We see in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, God, Christ's power over demons. We saw in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 to 42, as we studied last week, we saw Christ's power over death. And this week, verses 25 to 34, we see Christ or Jesus' power over disease. Unlike other people who thronged around Jesus at that moment of time, they were throwing around him out of curiosity. They were kind of looking at him as a phenomenon. They were looking at him as like, well, show us something that will amaze us. This woman came to Jesus not out of curiosity. She came to Jesus because she had a need. She came to Jesus because she needed something vital right at that moment. We see a woman in a, in a very fatal condition. Notice the first thing we read in verse 25 and 26. This woman was languishing. The Bible says she suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had. It was nothing better, but rather grew worse. You see, an issue of blood was when this woman had uncontrollable hemorrhaging. She had uncontrollable bleeding. This woman could not do anything about it. When you have that kind of a condition, it affects you in many, many ways. This woman became anemic. This woman had a drop drop in her blood pressure. This woman could have had a heart attack. This woman had a loss of energy. This woman lost, uh, she became more self-conscious of her condition and how she affected other people. And many insecurities that she had uh, came out. Notice the Bible says she suffered many things of many physicians. Can you imagine just the thought she suffered many things? She suffered for 12 years. She didn't have good night's rest. She didn't wake up well in the morning. She had days, more bad days than she had good days. She wondered sometimes, is life even worth living? She suffered many things. She probably wondered in herself as her insecurities came out. I wonder if anybody else is going through what I'm going through. She suffered many things. She went to see the doctors and she sought the doctors out. And the Bible amplifies on the suffering by saying she suffered many things of many physicians. She literally became a guinea pig for experimentation for many things. I was reading in a commentary 
And Kent Hughes, who has a good commentary in the Gospel of Mark, uh, cites from the Talmud the following. He says that the, the Jews, and when, a, when a woman had a situation like this, a hemorrhaging problem, the Jews had no less than 11, 11 remedies for this kind of illness, if you can imagine. They had 11 uh, remedies. These were all, if I could call them, uh, old wives type of fables that they had. These were some, they were things that concoct, there had not been proven in medical science. And this is taken out of the Talmud itself, as quoted by M.R. Vincent in his word studies of the New Testament. Here's one remedy they had. They said, take of the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver coin, and of alum the same, and of crocus the same. And they said, let all of them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman who is the issue of blood. And they said, if this does not benefit, take of the Persian onions three pints, boil them in wine and give to her to drink and say to her, arise from thy flocks. Now they had no, I don't know where they got these ideas from, but they, one, one set of ideas said, well, let's take some flat, some crocus flowers and let's take some gum and let's take some alum and mix them together in wine and give her to drink and tell her, arise from thy flocks. Another one said, take three pints of, of, of onions and boil them in wine and give it to her and tell her to rise from thy flocks. Another one said this, they said, if this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet at a cross Crossroads at a road where, there, where there's a crossroads there. Set her in a place where two ways meet, and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand, and let someone come from behind and frighten her and say, "Let thy flux arise from thy flux." I mean, these were the kind of the old wise fables that were given her. One extreme one they have, and another place the Talmud they recommended that an afflicted woman carry a barley corn which had been taken from the droppings of a white she donkey. I mean, it just gets more bizarre and more and more w- weird. But you have to understand. This woman's in a place of desperation. She's suffering many things, and she's suffering many things of physicians. It got to the point, after 12 years of suffering, after 12 years of bleeding out all her money, and spending all that she had, and spending down her savings, and selling off her assets, she realized she was none the better. In fact, the Bible says she grew worse, and she grew worse, and she grew worse. She suffered financially. She suffered socially. She suffered financially. Job 14.11 says, man that is born of a woman, it is a few days and full of trouble. And this woman epitomizes for you and me a life that is full of trouble. A life where there's one setback after the other. This past week on Monday, I got to the hospital very early in the morning at six in the morning to be one of well, a family member, one of our church members who just about eight or nine years ago, I got introduced to them. And I still remember going to their home on a, on a Saturday afternoon, about the second or third Saturday. In the, I think it was the second Saturday of November of 2009. I remember going to the home and the church member said, now my aunt has cancer and she's been battling it for almost 10 years now. And uh, he said, would, would you go and pray with them? And I went to see them and they, he told me about the religious persuasion and so forth. And he said, they might give you a little bit of pushback. I said, don't worry, we're just going to go with the love of Christ and ask God to work in that scenario. And I remember going in that room and meeting with them and I don't I know how to explain it but uh, there was no pushback and uh, they had never met me before and they welcomed and received me very warmly into that living room there not far from here in the city of Castor Valley and I went into their home and they welcomed me very warmly and I can't describe except for this there was just a camaraderie that God established between me and them and, and in warmness in spite of their having a very strong religious, religious persuasion other than the Christian faith and other than biblical Christianity which is faith alone in Jesus Christ but God started working as we kind of worked through the warm up 
time and the chit-chat time, God started working in her heart. And God started working in his heart. And I can't explain this to you. And I didn't know these people from Adam until that day. But tears started coming down my eyes and a quiver in my voice as God just, just broke my heart for their soul. And God, God got a hold of me. And I told them how important it was that they needed to get saved. And I told them, listen, I can't do anything about the cancer, ma'am, that you have. But I could do something for the cancer of the soul. And I said, sin is a cancer of the soul and you need to get saved. And there that afternoon, after about an hour, hour and a half of sharing the gospel with them, going back and forth, asking questions, they both said, they both agreed together, looked at each other, and they bowed their heads and asked Jesus Christ, God's Son, to come to their hearts to save them. I have listened two years after that, the woman succumbed to cancer, and I did her celebration of life service. And I remember being at that service where, again, many of the family members had come to know Christ over time, and I got a chance to stand before that family, and I got to share the gospel with them again and talk about her life and give them the assurance, according to John chapter 14, that she didn't die in this life. She graduated from this life and entered to the presence of the Lord. Where the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I was talking about, oh, death, where is thy sting? And oh, grave, where is thy victory? And this corruption must put on incorruption. And this, immort- this mortality must put on immortality. And as I gave, the, I gave the message there and invited people to come to Christ, many more family members came to know Jesus Christ at the conclusion of that service. Well, the husband just found out got diagnosed with cancer. He'd never remarried. He's just been just living life and just sad that he lost his wife, that she, that she went on before him, that she's not here. But he just recently got diagnosed with a very serious form of cancer. And I got there and was with him. And uh, when I found out the kind of cancer, I had a, I had a, just a shiver go up my spine because it's a type of cancer where the survival rate is not very good if it's not dealt with well and, and if he doesn't respond well to the treatments that he needs to have. And so I got very concerned and met with the family, met with them. And I, I could tell they were concerned because you could tell this man as they were describing the symptoms and things he went through before he had the surgery they said he was suffering much and remind you this morning i remind you this morning as life goes on there are things we will suffer in life we will suffer setbacks we will fight we will suffer financial losses we will suffer a loss of our health eventually we will suffer the loss of loved ones losses are part of the christian life we find a woman that was languishing the bible says she grew worse it was nothing the better but notice something else very quickly this woman not only was languishing but notice in verse 25 she was also lonely you see you have to understand when a woman had this condition the levitical law as we find in the book of leviticus had specific commands about a woman that had this kind of condition she was considered the moment this happened as is recorded in leviticus 15 verses 18 to 27 this woman had a malady that made her a social outcast this woman could not participate in the temple worship. She could not be in the temple to give her offerings and to worship God. She was disallowed from having fellowship with everyone else. She became a social outcast as far as the Jewish ceremonialism was concerned. You have to understand something. For 12 years, the very religion that promoted a God in heaven who loved her and a God who opened the Red Sea and a God who tore down the Jericho walls and a God who toppled the giant Goliath and a God who in John 3.16 loves so loved the world their traditions of the jews ostracized her and said you cannot fellowship with us you cannot be here because you're considered an unclean person in fact it was so extreme and rare that and when we read when we read about it in Leviticus and how the Jews practiced God God had specific commands that were not supposed to be taken to the extremes that the Jews were practicing. But it said things like what well, where whatever bed she laid on or whatever chair she sat on, no one else was supposed to lay on that bed or to sit on that chair. Else that they would become unclean as well there too. And be become considering unclean, she could not have contact with other people lest she contaminated them and made them unclean. And this woman, because of that, her insecurities started to come out of her and her so this this. Fear 
feeling of being a social outcast. We don't read anything about her family. We don't read anything about her friends. We don't read anything about her neighbors. And the reason why is because she was ostracized by everyone else. This woman was lonely in her life. She was all by herself in her suffering. There was nobody there for her. She was marked by her disease. She suffered emotionally and socially. She was suffering with this condition all by herself. Oh, my friend, this morning, when you are lonely, you feel all alone. When you are lonely, you feel helpless. When you are lonely, you're unhappy. When you feel lonely, life is terrible. And you even get to a place sometimes where you don't even want to live. David described it this way in Psalms 38, verse 11. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore and my kinsmen stand afar off. I wonder if I'm talking to somebody this morning. You're not only languishing, but you're also lonely. In your heart of hearts, you wish you could have more fellowship. In your heart of hearts, you wish you could have you could have good fellowship with someone else. In your heart of hearts, you just you long to have, just be close to someone. You realize something's missing your life. This woman was languishing. This woman was lonely. But would you notice something else? We read the scriptures. This woman was also lost. I said she had a fatal condition. This woman would die from that condition. If something wasn't done. And this woman's condition, as we read about it, she grew worse and was nothing better as a picture of sin in our lives. It's a picture that worse than a blood disease is sin disease. Because sin disease has afflicted every man, every woman, every child. Sin disease encompasses all of us. The Bible says, wherefore, by one man, sin entered to the world and death by sin. So then death passed upon all men for that all is sin. I remind you this morning that sin is congenital. It began with Adam and is passed down to us. I remind you this morning, sin is contaminating. Sin affects every aspect of our lives and those around us. Let me tell you this morning, don't take sin very lightly. Sin is very serious. One sin will keep you out of heaven. Listen, one sin will call, can send you to hell. Listen, if you know to do right and you don't do it, the Bible defines that as being sin. I remind you today, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I remind you this morning... There is none righteous. No, not one. I remind you today, sin is congenital. Sin is contaminating, but sin is condemning. I remind you today that the wages of sin is death. Barnum and Bailey built their name on the circus acts. One of the promenades, many of you go back a few years, might remember, is Bozo the Clown. Bozo the Clown was very famous in 1950s. He really was kind of the face of the Balaam Barnum Bailey Circus there. And he was just got his whole life was revolved around just making people laugh. And the, the man that played Bozo the Clown, his name was Edwin Cooper. Edwin Cooper, wherever they went with the Barnum Bailey Circus, his goal in life was to make everybody laugh. Didn't matter who you are, just as a clown, he just kind of put clown, clownship on the kind of on the map there for people to understand when you went to a circus, you saw a clown, they're supposed to make you laugh. But behind the scenes, when he take off the makeup and he take off the little bulb that he have on his nose and he take off the clown suit, he would always remind his friends and colleagues that work with him at the circus. He says, now remember, make sure you see your doctor. Make sure you get tested for cancer because cancer is very bad. And we don't have a lot of developments right now in the 50s, but make sure you get tested for cancer. And it's somewhat, it's somewhat kind of uh, 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 unfortunate that at, the four, at 41 years of age, Edwin Cooper died of cancer. The very thing that he kept telling others to get treated for, that very same thing. 
he had cancer and he died from that. And I remind you today that sin is a far more deadly disease than cancer. Sin kills and destroys everything that it touches. And I remind you today, while I might stand here warning you, it's important that you not just get tested for cancer, but it's important to test it for, realize that you're a sinner. It's important for us to realize there's a Savior in heaven who can wash away your sins and a Savior in heaven who can forgive you your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. Notice this morning, number one, we see a woman who has a fatal condition. But there's some good news as we, we get in this passage. Notice verses 27 to 29. We not only see a fatal condition, but we notice in this woman a faith confidence. And everything we read about this woman from verses 27 to 34 is about her faith. It's a wonderful faith. It's an encouraging faith this woman has. This woman heard that Jesus was in town. And immediately as she heard, she went to look him up. Notice some things about faith this morning. Our theme this year is taken out of Numbers 13.30 about Caleb when he says, we are well able to overcome it. What he was saying is, I believe it's possible for us to overcome it. And today, our goal and our desire for this year is that you and I would grow in faith, that we would start with faith, we'd be sustained by faith, and we'd end this life in faith, that we'd have great faith Faith in God, because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Notice how faith arose in this woman's life. Beginning in verse 27, we see an exciting revelation when she had heard of Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment. Imagine the scene with me, if you can. And if you can just let your imagination become a little colorful for a moment. Here's Jesus walking with Jairus to Jairus' home. And along that pathway road in the town they're in, there's a great throng of people. And we say a throng is not 10 or 20. There could have been hundreds of people. They're thronging around Jesus. Everybody wanted to get as close as they can. They wanted to see who he was. They wanted to maybe even touch him if they could. He was somewhat of an enigma to all of them. And they wanted to touch Jesus Christ here. And Jesus make his way there. And the throng, of course, is slowing him down and people around him. And here's this woman, the Bible says, when she heard of Jesus, somewhere along the way, as as he was approaching the city and he made his way there, she heard about Jesus. She heard about him. She heard that he was a rabbi was coming. She heard of the one who turned the water into wine. She heard of the one who helped the nobleman to heal his son. She heard of this man and she heard enough that she knew I have to go to this man. And the Bible says in verse 27, when she heard of Jesus, she came from behind to touch his garment. Now this woman challenges you and me, first of all, about the revelation that she received. You see, faith begins by hearing. It says when she had heard of Jesus. Maybe I'm talking to somebody this morning. This is the first time you're hearing about Jesus, the Savior. And maybe this is the first time you're hearing about a Jesus who died on the cross for all your sins and rose again for the dead. The Bible says when she heard of Jesus, she came in from the press behind. May I remind you today, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith begins by listening to God's word. Faith grows in your soul and my soul as we listen to God's word and let God work in our heart. It creates belief. It creates faith. It creates desire. I urge you this morning, don't turn a deaf ear to God. This woman got excited when she heard about Jesus. I'm hoping this morning, as we finish to get through this message, I hope you get excited about Jesus today. Amen. I hope you get excited about the miracle healer that he is. I hope you get excited about the fact we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I hope you get excited about the fact we have one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. 
hope you get excited this morning that He's the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by Him. I hope you get excited about the fact that Jesus died for every sinner and that He said, I am the resurrection, the life. And He that believeth on Me, though He were dead, yet shall He live. I want you to get excited about Jesus. Don't turn a deaf ear to the Lord. Don't turn a deaf ear to the Word of God. Let faith arise in your soul. Let faith stir you up. This woman had an exciting revelation. And with this revelation, notice in verses 27 to 28, we see this woman... Now, putting her faith into motion. Faith without works is dead. She had to put her faith into motion. It's one thing to have faith. Yes, I believe in Jesus. But what are you doing with your faith? And this woman, faith arose in her heart. Faith was arising in her. And she said, I've got to get to Jesus. And notice, not only do we see an exciting revelation, but in verses 27 to 28, we see this woman doing an exhaustive reliance. This woman, by that term, an exhaustive reliance, Puts all her faith in Jesus Christ. Years ago, a mission went to went over there to uh, Vanatutu, which is now called the New Hebrides. And there was a time in Vanatutu and the New Hebrides where they had sent missionaries there, and uh, the, because the the, Nate, the people that lived the tribal people there were cannibals in those early days, that missionary after missionary would be killed and eaten there. And so this missionary that went there, John Payton, went there not knowing really what to expect, but having prayed much about God working through that, and God gave him an open door with these these people at the Vanatutu. And John, John Payton, if you read the story about him, he was uh, could be in much attributed to him that he brought the gospel message there and the spread of Christianity to the New Hebrides. There. But while he was there, he was, he was working f- uh, fastidiously on trying to get the, the Bible translated into the language of those people, Vanatutu. And he was struggling because he was trying to find a word that uh, for uh, a meaning, for a word in their language for the word faith. And he realized that he had to have a, a very simple understanding of meaning. He, he tried many different words, but none of them seemed to work. And then after several weeks, he was just, it was one of the things on his project list. He kept working and said, I've got to find a, a word in their language that, under, uh, that underscores faith. And one day, one of the men that he had led to Christ, who was very close to him, had been out hunting with some of the men. And they'd gone way, way down into the jungle areas and gone hunting. And they came back successfully, but they were very tired. And the man that he led to Christ, he came into the, the area where John Payton was. And John Payton was sitting outside of his hut on a little stool there. And the man came up, and he took a stool next to him. And he plopped himself on the stool, and he just went like this and propped himself on the stool. And he said, uh, boy, I just feel like I can rest all my weight on this chair. And immediately as he said that, John Payton, just kind of like a light bulb went on in his mind. He says, ah, I found the word exactly what it means that I can describe faith in the, in the language of people. And he said, he wrote down, he defined faith in their Bible as saying, when we rest our weight on someone else, or we rest our weight on someone who can support us. And that's what faith is. And when we put our full reliance on Jesus Christ, we rely on him and rest in him to carry us through. Notice this passage of scripture. This woman makes her way to Jesus. She had faith in his authority. She had faith in his ability. Look at in verse 27. She didn't have time to critique him. She didn't have time to poll him. She didn't have time to put it through question and answer. She just had faith to believe in what she heard. She heard about his power. She heard about his authority. She heard about the virgin birth. She heard about the miraculous work of God. She heard about how water was turned to wine. And the Bible says she came, she heard of Jesus, and she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I should be whole. Her if was not if he can help me. She said, if I can just reach out and get to touch him, I know he can help me. She had faith to believe in his authority, faith in believing that he could turn her life around. And she said, if all I did was just touch his clothes, if I can come from behind and just touch the back of his garment like this, I know I can be healed. This woman had an exhaustive reliance. I read the story about a man who was one time the research head of General Motors. His name was Charles Kettering. 
And Beth, this is back in the days before we had uh, computers and laptops and all those type of things there. This is back in the days when, when, when real calculations were made with slide rules. How many remember slide rules? Amen. You know, and this is back in the days when they had slide rules. And he had this thing whenever they went into the board, this room for research and development, he would have all these engineers come in and he'd have a big box. And he'd tell all the engineers, I want you to put all your slide rules in here. And you don't have to bring anything in except a pad of paper and a pencil. He says, leave your slide rule here. And, he's, and someone asked him, well, why did you do that? And he said this. He said, if I didn't do that, I'd find someone reaching for his slide rule and always saying, boss, you can't get that idea accomplished. And faith is this. It's faith in you realizing we're not relying on reasoning. We're not trying to argue with God, but simply letting go of reasoning and speculation and just putting our faith and reliance in the Lord. And this woman, she'd seen what what the doctors could do. They did nothing. She'd seen psychiatry could do nothing. She'd seen the doctors could do nothing. She realized all the old wife's fables could not help her. And she came with complete faith and exhaustive reliance in the Lord. May I encourage you this morning. Maybe your faith is just starting from the bottom. Maybe you've recently put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Or maybe you're someone, you've been saved many years, but your faith is yet to grow. I encourage you this morning, the only way your faith can grow in the Lord, you've got to put a complete reliance on the Lord. You've got to have an exhaustive reliance saying, God, I just put all the weight of my, my burdens and all the weight of my concerns upon you and trust you for what you'll do in my life. And notice as we go on, we see this woman has an exciting revelation. And we see this woman has an extensive reliance. But notice in verse 27, Notice she has an earnest resolve. The Bible says she came in the press behind and touched his garment. Biblical faith is a faith that has resolve. She says, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Faith involves our action. Faith must be immediate. Faith must be obedient. Faith must let go of darkness. Faith must let go of reasoning. Faith lets go of everything we're holding on to and hold on to God. Faith is saying, I believe. This woman was saying, I believe if I touch Jesus, I should be made whole. She said, I believe if I get close to Jesus, I will be healed of my bloody flux. She said, I believe if I let go of my fears, I should be well once again. She said, I believe if I come just as I am, Jesus will make me a new person. She said, I believe if I come right now, he can make me the person I want to believe and I want to be. She just simply said, I believe. And listen, it boils down to just those two words, brother and sister in Christ, that I believe. Do you believe that God is able? Do you believe that God can save your soul? Do you believe that God can answer prayer? Do you believe that God is still alive today? Do you believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think? Do you believe that that God is on your side? Do you believe that God can forgive you of all your sins? Do you believe that God can move you from point A to point B? And I tell you this evening, this morning, yes, I believe that God is able to. I believe God can give us a fresh start. I believe that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I believe this morning that if a man be born again, he can enter to the kingdom of God. I believe this morning that if you believe on the name of the Son of God, you can become a child of God right at that moment. I believe no matter what sin or what problem or what habit you may be going through, I believe when you put your faith and trust in God, God can release you and give you deliverance from that problem and that sin that you have in your life. I believe that God can help me in my time of loneliness. I believe that God can help me turn my crisis into a cure. 
I believe that God can be real at a time when the horror of darkness overshadows me. I believe that God can work in your life and my life in taking things that seem unchangeable and he can change them about for his glory. And this woman came with, to Jesus with an earnest resolve. May I remind you this morning the reason why most of our faith is a pygmy faith and the reason why most of our faith never grows and the reason why a lot of us we're somewhat we're not happy in our lives and dissatisfied in our soul is because we have not resolved in our, in our heart to exercise full faith and to follow Jesus. She said in her heart, I'm, I'm going to make my way to the crowd. I'm not going to let the crowd be an excuse. And she said, just because I'm behind him, I'm not going to let that be an excuse. I'm going to come behind him and touch the hem of his garment. I mean, this woman had more faith than you and me. She had enough faith to believe that if I could just touch the garment, the back of his garment, I could be made whole once again. Oh, listen, today, we need an earnest resolve in our faith. We've got to get to Jesus. I'm urging you today, if you're not saved, get to Jesus today. If you're far away from God, get to Jesus today. If it's been a long time since you've seen answer to prayer, get to Jesus today. It's if the joy is not in your heart and there's unhappiness in your soul and depression is set in, may I urge you today to have an earnest resolve and just get to Jesus and say, I believe in him today. But notice something else here today. This woman had an exciting revelation. She heard of Jesus. This woman had an exhaustive reliance. Notice this woman had an earnest resolve. But notice in verse 29 and 30, notice this woman had an entire release. She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. Do you get it? Immediately she was healed. Whatever was the cause, the Bible describes the fountain of her blood. The source of her disease was healed at that moment. It was made well. It wasn't a charismatic healer did it. It was the Son of God who did it. Amen. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body. That she was healed of that plague. The incurable was cured. The disease was delivered. The unchangeable was changed. The bleeding stopped. The suffering was over. The weakness was gone. Her blood pressure became normal. Her happiness and joy returned. She was no longer an outcast. Listen, I reminded what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our heart upon the black horse of affliction. For 12 years, this woman had been suffering through the black horse of affliction. But now the Lord's mercy had opened the door and brought her close to him. And she was thankful that moment of time, according to verse 29, <clears throat> that she had enough faith to believe that God was there for her. What she did, what Jesus did for her was immediate. It was instantaneous. It was right at that moment. Listen, listen. That's exactly what Jesus does for you when you receive him as Savior. He saves you right then and there. Salvation is not progressive. Salvation is instantaneous. Salvation is not something that happens over a period of time. Salvation happens immediately. It's a once and for all thing. Once you're saved, you're always saved. That's why I'm so thankful Then in 1 John 5, 13, the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. I'm thankful for where John chapter Chapter 10, verse 28 says, where Jesus said, When I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I remind you this morning that if you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior, you are saved. You are going to heaven. God's reserved a place for you. Your name is written in the Lamb's, will stay in the Lamb's book of life. You have forever. Jesus is preparing a place for you that where he is, there you will be also. Listen, I tell you today, you say, well, pastor, I believe in God. Here's what Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believing God is good, but you must believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The demons also believe and they tremble. 
That's why Jesus had to tell those disciples, you believe in God, believe also in me. You must believe he's the only way. You must believe that he died for your sins. You must believe that his death and his shed blood is the only payment that's acceptable to God for your sins and mine. And this woman, when she came to him, notice in verse 29, she knew something happened to her. Sunday night, a man who's here this morning who'd been coming to our church, I've been praying for him to come back and... <laughs> With the encouragement of his wife, he came and Sunday night after service, we talked for a long time. And then the service, he said, well, pastor, what must I do to be saved? Sounded just like the man over in Acts chapter 16. He bowed his head and called on the Lord to save him. I said, well, what's going on in your heart right now? And he said, I don't even have the words, pastor, describe it. But he said, I feel like the burden's gone. And he felt... And he's trying to get the words out. And I looked at his wife. I asked his wife later this week. I said, well, how's your husband doing? She said, he's happy. He's got the joy of the Lord in his heart. And I want to tell you this morning, you get Jesus in your heart, there's no more fighting. There's no more wars. You're free. You're forgiven. You're saved, praise the Lord. You belong to God. And we must understand this morning that when this woman came to Christ... Her fountain of blood was dried up immediately. You don't have to get saved. Your sins are forgiven completely. Here's what the Lord says to help you today. Your sins were judged on the cross. And he says, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. They're forgiven. And they're forgotten. And just like a criminal who's had a felony. They've got a criminal record. When the judge expunges that record. When the, when that record's expunged, they open the book up, they look in there, and the crime he was fought, he was formally accused of is no longer there to accuse him. That's what justification is. Justification says, God looks at you and me just as if we never sinned. And we look at this situation. This woman now had a new lease in life. Life was beginning all over. She had a new life there. I read the story about a king who suffered much from his rebellious subjects. One day they stopped the rebellion. They surrendered their arms. They, 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 they surrendered their arms and stopped the disobedience and rebellion. And <clears throat> they came to the king and fell, threw themselves at his feet. And they begged for mercy. That moment of time, the king, with tears in his eyes, looked upon all his subjects. And he pardoned and forgave all of them. One of his loyal friends who was in his court, they said, Did you not once say that everyone who rebelled against you should die? Did you say that? And he looked at that friend, and he looked at those people, and he made this statement. He says, yes, but I see no rebels here. And I remind you today, when you get forgiven in Christ, he doesn't see you as a sinner who deserves to go to hell. He sees you as someone who's saved and going to heaven, the gift of eternal life. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We see this woman had a fatal condition. We see this woman had faith confidence. She, she received an entire release because she came by faith to Christ. And notice as we close this morning very quickly, what you notice, verses 30 to 34, what you notice, this woman had a fulfilling conversion. Now remember, this woman, <clears throat> all her insecurities came out because of being a social outcast. And that woman's like, I think, the personality of our church. I think the person out of our church, I think the majority of our people in the church are shy. I think more, majority of our church, uh, majority of our church are a little bit introverted. They're not, they're not very, you know, socially out there and active and, and uh, not everybody in this room is type A in personality. 
And this woman was remembering that she was a social outcast because remember for 12 years when she, when she knew she was unclean, she could have no contact in, in the religious services of the, of, of the Jews. And so the woman, remember, she said, if I could just come from behind, I, I want to be inconspicuous. I, I don't want anybody to know I'm here. But by the way, Jesus knows when you come to him. And this woman thought she could go into hiding. And this woman thought, well, I could touch him and I could reserve myself and go back all the way back and stay in hiding. And nobody will ever know that I'm saving. But she knew she was saved, and, but she didn't want anybody to know about it. Can I tell you something today? You can, maybe that's how you were before you got saved, but Jesus changes your life. And when Jesus changed your life, you don't have to stay a social outcast and you don't have to be some of the shine in the background. You can realize that God has something great and powerful in store. So notice some things that happen to this woman. Notice in verse 30, Jesus knew that she had touched him. And Jesus used this as a teaching opportunity. Because you'll notice in verses 30 to 34, the first thing we see is a truthful acknowledgement. Jesus turns around, he says, who touched my clothes? Now, that would seem kind of weird if you and I were there because all these people are thronging him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if he was claustrophobic, that was not the time to be claustrophobic. Amen. All these people are crying him and, and rubbing against him, pushing him. And I don't know about you. I don't like being crushed because I don't like people pushing from behind because I like to push him back if they push me. Amen. You know, and they're pushing from behind. And, and he says, he stops and he says, OK, who touched me? And his disciples saying, Lord, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's pulling at you. Everybody wants a piece of you, you know. Everybody's touching you. No, he says, no, 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 no. He says, who touched me? And Jesus said that because as he did so, he turned his eyes and looked on the woman. Let me tell you something this morning. I was excited yesterday when I got several messages of our deacons. They're out sewing. I had taken one of our men out sewing. We had some good visits and weren't able to leave anybody to Christ. But I was so excited that some of our deacons were reporting back and saying, hey, pastors, I want to let you know uh, this man got saved and this woman got saved and this person got saved and and excited about that. Can I tell you something? Here's something great, you know. Around the world, God is at work around the world. And while we're having service now, people are still getting saved. My, my good friend, Dr. Ed Lorena, yesterday had their first anniversary Sunday of their 39th anniversary. And if everything went to plan, knowing Dr. Lorena did, if everything went to plan, they probably had 5,500 first-time visitors in church yesterday. 5,500. Not 55, 5,500. And I've been there when they've had 2,500, 3,000 first-time visitors, and thousands get saved. And, you know, people are getting saved. And here's the, th- here's the remarkable thing. Because Jesus can be everywhere and because he's all-powerful, he knows everyone that gets saved. He knows who you are. And he takes time to stop. And listen, he, he needed to get to Jairus' house. And he wanted to take time for the crowd. But he stopped there at the moment because that woman needed to know that he she was greatly loved by the Lord. And he stopped and he said, who touched my clothes? And, and notice in verse, as he did so, in verse 32, he looked around about to see her that had done the thing. He knew who had touched him. But here's what Jesus was doing. He wanted this woman to recognize the next step of being saved. The next step of being a new convert. And he wanted her to make a truthful acknowledgement. Look what happens here. He looked at her in verse 32. And verse 33 says, But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, she knew she got saved. She came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Now, very simply, here's what Jesus, this is what the lesson we're learning here, okay? When you get saved, God doesn't want you and me to stay in the shadows, Get out of the shadows and tell people you're saved. Amen. Get excited about the Lord. And Jesus said, listen, I just did something great in your life. 
And I don't want you to keep it a secret here in the background. And I don't want you going back living like a social outcast and letting your inferiorities and your insecurities and uh, paranoias keep you from serving the Lord. He said, look, I'm the same God that dried up that fountain of blood. I'm the same God that can transform you so you can be a blazing evangel of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. And all I'm trying to say is, listen today, I know the personality make of a lot of the folks here in this church is we're shy. We don't want to say anything. But let me encourage you today. Acknowledge who Jesus is in your life. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of his word. Don't be ashamed of your church. Don't be ashamed that Christ died for your sins. Let people know that Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the dead. Why? Because in John Matthew 10, 32, he told the disciples, you teach this. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father, which is in heaven. That's why altar call times are not for those people who have problems. Altar call time is for every one of us. Altar call time is for us to come like this woman, to fall at our feet before the Lord and to publicly give an acknowledgement that Jesus is in our heart. Or publicly acknowledge we need the Lord. Let me tell you something today. There's nothing embarrassing or shameful to tell the Lord you need him. There's nothing shameful, embarrassing by saying, God, I'm far away. I'm coming home today. There's nothing shameful, embarrassing and coming to the altar and saying, I need to get saved right now. I'm a miserable person. I need to get saved. I'm just saying today, let's not sit back here and say, well, it's my culture or it's my personality or maybe because I got I was damaged as a youth or whatever it may be. And let's not fall behind those excuses. And just as Jesus looked at that woman, let me remind you right now, he's looking at a lot of us today in this room and saying, well, who touched me? And uh, you've touched Jesus. And maybe it's time you need to come out and make a public acknowledgement. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Christ today. And so we see a truthful acknowledgement. Notice very quickly, notice a touching acceptance. She probably was wondering, man, what's he going to say to me? What's he going to do to me? She's at his feet and this is in public. And remember, everybody that knew that woman, remember now, they didn't know what was, had gone, in, what had happened inside of her. By the way, a lot of people don't know, know what happened inside of you, but you know what happened inside of you. And that woman was down there and thought of him, still looked at her. Well, you don't know, Jesus. She's un- Jesus, you should have no dealings. She is unclean. I can imagine some old Pharisees. She's unclean, man. Don't touch that woman. And man, don't even walk on the ground She where she put her hand. She was unclean. I mean, that's the image everybody had of her. But listen, she was at a place where she needed encouragement. And listen what Jesus said to her in verse 34. Daughter. Daughter. It was a touching acceptance. Daughter, thy faith. Has made thee whole. You know what he told her? He says, you're part of my family now. And he called her daughter. He was saying, I've taken you into my family. I've forgiven you of your sins. You have the gift of eternal life. Listen, your uncleanness is no longer unclean. You're clean. You're mine. He said, daughter, and remind you today when you get saved, one of the most precious things about accepting Jesus Christ as Savior is becoming a son of God in Jesus Christ today. As many as received, and to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Notice what happens in verse 34. She went from being a nobody to becoming a somebody. When you come to the family of God, he calls you son, he calls you daughter. You went from being a nobody to becoming a somebody. She went from being a diseased outcast to being a delivered overcomer. Then notice we see a tender assurance. He says, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Go in peace. Be whole of thy plague. He was telling her there as we close. What I said earlier. Once you're saved. You're always saved. He was telling her. 
It's not going to come back and haunt you again. You're not going to get a recurrence of this. You know, you get saved from your sins. You're not going to be condemned again. Maybe you're struggling today. Am I really saved? And you've accepted Christ. Maybe you even got baptized after that. But you're struggling. Am I really saved now? Let me give you the assurance. When he saved you, he, he says to you, just like he said to this woman, he says, thy faith has made thee whole. Be whole of thy plague. He told her by his own words, listen, the same power that, that delivered you is the same power that will keep you going. And the Bible says in Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. She had peace with God and she had the peace of God. Jude 24 says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I'm thankful this morning, Pastor Fong could not do the saving. And I'm thankful this morning, Heritage Baptist Church could not do the saving. But I am very thankful today, Jesus Christ is the one that does the saving. He keeps holding on to you. He'll keep you from falling. He'll keep you. You can't lose what he gave you. It's the gift of God. So as we close this morning, this woman came just as she was. Your hymnal, the song that we sing, we might sing it this morning for our invitation. It's a very prominent hymn that's entitled Just As I Am, written by Charlotte Elliott. Billy Graham made that invitation song very, very prominent because in all the Billy Graham crusades, Whenever he preached the gospel, he'd give the invitation. The instrumentalist would start playing, just as I am. And George Beverly Shea, some of you might remember the name George Beverly Shea, great, great soloist. George Beverly Shea would get up and start singing, just as I am without one plea. And he'd sing with that great baritone voice and God would move and thousands upon thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior during Billy Graham's ministry. But Charlotte Elliott, many people don't realize is that, that the woman was born an invalid. She was crippled. She couldn't participate in social activities with everyone else. She didn't have the typical childhood where she could run and play with other kids. She was an outcast. Charlotte Ellie got saved and came from a lineage of saved people and uncles and others who were fit for, who were preachers. In fact, one of the great commentators that if you ever get one was H.G. Mole was, was, was one of her uncles there. And she was beset by ill health and she had... As an invalid, she'd have good days and she had many more bad days than good days. Back in 1834, an opportunity came when uh, one of her brothers, who was a preacher of the gospel in England, said, you know, we're going to create, we're going to have this, this uh, we're going to create this scholarship fund to enable young people, they can go to this Bible college and get Bible training. And, and they were going to have a big rally. And of course, all the young people were going to come to that. That was a big thing back in those days. And the young people would come and excitement spread. And even it got to Charlotte Elliott because some of her friends came and told her about that. And she got excited about that. But even her own mind and heart, she thought, how am I going to get there? And as she, as she considers the moments were counting down, she thought, oh. The event came and there was great celebration. People were outside and many young people came and a great sum of money was raised. And Charlotte Elliott felt so inadequate and so just disconnected from everything because she wasn't able to be physically there to participate in that. And this invalid woman got to a place where she was so discouraged. And there in the darkness of her moment there, the Lord put on her heart the words to the song, Just As I Am. And the words of that song, Just As I Am, epitomize and speak of her life and the life of every person who's without Jesus Christ as Savior or someone who's very far from God. That God takes us just as we are. She had to overcome her insecurity and her fears that because of her invalidness that nobody would accept her. And she came to the realization that God takes her just the way she is. And God takes you and me just the way you and I are. And God takes you just the way you are because He loves you. He invites us to come just as we are. And I think about the lyrics of that song. It goes like this. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Oh, that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. The second stanza says, just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. 
to thee whose blood can cleanse each blot, O Lamb of God, I come. And then we get to the very to the end of the chorus as she said this, just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because they promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. I invite you this morning when we sing this song that you come just as you are. God takes you the way you are. You say, Pastor, you don't know how bad my life is. He takes you the way you are. You say, Pastor, you don't know what problems I've got. He takes you just the way you are. He takes us the way we are. No matter how we may think we're packaged up, He takes us just as we are. To pardon, to cleanse, to receive, to deliver. Would you come to the Lord today? Would you come like this woman? Would you have the resolve of faith like this woman did? She said, if I can come up just from behind and just touch the hem of His garment, I shall be made whole. Do you have enough faith to believe that God can change the unchangeable? Do you have enough faith to believe that God can take the impossible and make it possible? Do you have enough faith to believe that he's able to answer your prayers? He is. All you've got to do is say, I believe. Would you do that this morning? Just a moment. Just say, I believe. I believe today that God can be my savior. I believe today that Jesus can save me from my sins. Father, this morning, we thank you for the story about this woman who had the issue of blood. This woman who perhaps some of us can identify with as a problem where she was bled physically and she bled financially. And she suffered many things. And Lord, there could be here in this audience, among this congregation, some looking by live stream that are suffering, going through extreme situations. They're not sure what to do. And yet, Father, in the midst of all this, thank you, we can come just as we are. Thank you for the power of Jesus Christ that worked so wonderfully on that day when that woman, she came and touched him from behind. She was healed and made whole immediately. Father, you want to save someone here today who's not saved. You want to help someone today who's in the bondage of sin to find deliverance. Help us today as we give the invitation that people would just simply say, I believe, and they would come to the Lord. With your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, nobody looking around. Is there someone here today? God's spoken to you. You're not saved. You're not 100% sure you're going to heaven. If you died right now, you'd go to hell. You'd spend eternity there because you never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're like that this morning. I invite you right where you're at today to come out of your chair. Make your way down the aisle. Take the hand of one of the altar workers and tell them, I want to believe and accept Jesus Christ today to be my Savior. How many of you today would say with the raising your right hand, Pastor Fong, I know that I'm saved. I know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I know that. And you could raise your hand with me and say, I know I'm saved today. You could raise your hand and say, God bless you. All the hands up. Now, what if you couldn't raise your hand today? You can put your hands down. What if you could not raise your hand because you're not sure? We invite you this morning to come. And tell an altar worker, would you help me to know how to be saved today? This woman came from behind and touched him. All you have to have is enough faith to say, I believe Jesus can save me from my sins. I invite you in just a moment to come. Secondly, secondly, maybe some of us, we've been shy and ashamed of Christ. Maybe it's time for us to get out of our chair. Get out of our seat of complacency. And say, I want to acknowledge Christ, that he's real in my life. Jesus looked around and said, who touched me? He looked right at that woman. Can you imagine right now Christ is looking at you and looking at me? He wants to know, you know I've touched you. Now whose life are you touching? Because I've touched you. And I'm wondering how many today at the start of this new year you'd come forward and say, God help me today. God be my helper. I believe it's important to win souls to Christ. And today I'm, I'm making a decision. I want to be a witness for Christ. Today I want to help win souls to Christ. And I'm going to urge you in just a moment to come. And then others today, maybe you're struggling with something where you're suffering. There's restlessness. There's a trial. There's an affliction problem. 
Would you come today and maybe take an altar worker by the hand and ask him to pray with you that you'd get God's help and God's mind intervention in that situation? The woman, the Bible says she did everything she could in her power, but she was none the better. But you know, when she got to Jesus, she was made the better. And you need to come to the Lord today. Maybe you've tried to find doctors and people to solve your problem. Today, they're not going to help you. Today, you need to find Christ to help you. We're going to make the invitation open. You come as the Lord leads. And Father, give boldness, give courage, give enablement. As we extend the invitation, help folks to come today to be saved, to acknowledge Christ, to be a witness, or maybe just to have prayer because they're going through some time of suffering. Whatever it may be this morning, thank you, you love us. And just as that woman came from behind to touch Jesus, thank you today we can come to the altar and find relief and help from God. Save souls today, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. As you do so, if you need to come, make your way out right now. As people are standing, make your way out the aisle right now. If you need to come right now, what's the burden in your heart? What's the suffering you have? Who, do you, who are you praying for? They'll get saved. That needs to get saved. Would you come today? Would you come? You need to get saved today. There are many here today. You've never put your faith and trust in Christ. I invite you today. Would you put your faith in and call upon him to save you today? Would you come? We're going to sing another stanza. You come this morning. You come. Don't leave the same way you came in. Come different. That woman's life was different. Her life was changed. The joy of the Lord came in her life. You lost your joy. You lost your happiness. You lost your desire, find it at the altar this morning. Come to God. What you say? You say, Lord, I believe. Your faith is too small. Say, I believe today. Father, this morning, thank you for how your people listened and the word of God was sown. And we do not believe it was sown in an unfruitful way. We believe it will bear forth fruit 25, 50, 100 fold. Father, thank you again as we look at another incident where Christ worked in someone's life and that person said, I believe. And Lord, help us to believe today that we're well able. Help us to believe today that, God, you can get us through the next day and get us through our circumstances. Meet the needs of everyone in this room this morning. Help those without Christ, even on the way out this morning, that they come and say, Pastor, I need to get saved. Would you help me today? We pray in all these things that you'll get the glory. Help us tonight to rejoice, this morning to rejoice in your goodness and grace. We pray all these things of you, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated for just a quick moment. We'd like to get you caught up with some events happening in our church with our Connect video. Let me urge you tonight, church members, be here tonight at 5 o'clock for our, our annual business meeting and victory report, and then for the evening service to follow. Great encouraging time we're going to have tonight. I'm excited about the message tonight that I'll be preaching to encourage you about just where the Lord's leading us as a church on some things uh, in the upcoming weeks and months and years, and you'll be here for that. And uh, encourage you just to come and maybe find your place involved in the church tonight. If you're new to the church today, hope you'll walk out those double doors back here and shake our hand and let's get a chance to minister to you. And then, then today, like I said, maybe you've got a burden or you're not sure you're saved. Just come meet me at the door. We'll be glad to show you how you can be saved today. Look forward to seeing you at the door. God bless you. You'll be dismissed in just a few moments.